Walking the Dog is sponsored by Pet Plan, who pay 97% of all the claims they receive. Pet insurance can be a confusing business, but I think ultimately it's all about the quality of the vet fee cover provided. Pet Plan cover things other insurers don't and can pay your vet directly, so you get to spend your cash on other essentials. No, Raymond, that doesn't include dog biscuits. Terms, conditions and excesses apply. Pet Plan is a trading name of Allianz Insurance PLC. I've genuinely never, never had a job, never had a boss. The closest I've had to doing a proper job interview and trying to get a job is when I did Celebrity Apprentice. <laughs> this week on Walking the Dog, Raymond and I went to London's Regent's Park to meet up with an old friend of this podcast, legendary comedian Ross Noble. Ross now lives in Australia and he's over here touring, but he's got three beautiful dogs back home, Baguette and Baxter, who he describes as cockapoodle doodle doos and Indy, the bearded collie, who you'll hear all about. Ray and I had the loveliest stroll with Ross because he's basically just the total joy of a man. And he likes Ray so much, he even invited him over to stay with him in Australia so they could go walking. Come to think of it though, he didn't actually say anything about me going with him. Do try and see Ross's show while he's over here, Jibber Jabber Jamboree, because it's fantastic. He's doing two nights at the London Palladium on the 14th and 15th of March and touring all around the UK. So for more info and tickets, go to rossnoble.com. I'll stop talking now and hand over to the man himself. Here's Ross and Ray. I'll just put his harness on, Ross. Yep. <laughs> Ross Noble, are you already laughing at my dog? Yes. <laughs> Do you think he's inherently comic? Yes. He's what? absolutely comical. Come on, Ray. You lead the way. So we're not going that way. We can go around the outside, can we? Is that...? Yeah, it says no dogs. That's the police that are saying that. That's the, that's the police. There's a police sign saying no dogs. Oh, you know what? I might carry him. Because, to be honest, I flouted those rules with uh, Tim Peake. Right. And astronauts strike me as fairly rule-bound. And he seemed all right with no, it. No, so... no, he's the opposite. He's not of the earth, is he? He's a... He... <laughs> Galactic law. That's Tim Peake. He looks at earth regulations and just because I'm not... He doesn't even allow the laws of gravity <laughs> apply to him. He flouts every law going. Physics, the lot. I find him disconcerting, Tim Peake. <laughs> when you arrive at Heathrow... They've got this thing where they've got like pictures of, they've got pictures of like, I'm not even London as I suppose, just people, the best of British saying welcome to London. Oh, Have you seen it? No. They've got a picture of, so there's a picture of, a, this is very modern, a lady beef eater, arms open wide like this, like saying welcome to London and then like beef eater underneath. Don't need to know that. He's got the outfit on. <laughs> like, unless he's like bogus beef eater. You know what I mean? You just go definitely a beef eater. Don't be don't number one scam in scam in London is women pretending to be beef eaters. Watch out uh, yeah, for be, faux beef eaters. Be careful. Eaters. And then it's got Tim Peak astronaut, and it's him oh. like larger than life, like bigger than like huge. And it's him like this, like welcome to and they've they've got their arms out wide as if to say Welcome to London. It looks like if they were had a speech bubble, it would say, give us a hug. Oh. And if you've just got off a long haul flight and there's an astronaut beckoning you to, to be embraced <laughs> by an astronaut, I just find it disconcerting. Well, you just, you know, I think you're probably just feeling, look, buy me a drink first. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> buy me a drink first. I... It's one of the best punchlines ever, that. Um, I used that, I was in Dubai and I got uh, strip searched and my wife was laughing a lot. Um, we got off the plane and we walked through and the guy looks at me and I was carrying two bags and I was had aviator sunglasses on <laughs> and, and they slipped down. They slipped down because I was carrying the bags and I thought, instead of putting the bags down and moving my sunglasses back, I'll get to the front of the queue and then I'll put the... Oh, man. Oh, 
Okay, what do we do, Ross? I, I think we just proceed. Do we? Keep I think we just down. We'll discuss what's happening. Proceed with minutes. caution. Oh, what a beautiful fountain! It's one of my favourite, yeah. favourite fountains. Okay. The sound, of, thank goodness, the sound of spurting water. So we've it's come to a sort of. <laughs> so what might be the most extraordinary thing that's ever happened on this podcast. I mean, ironic. Buy me a drink first. <laughs> apologise. You can hear the fountain in the background. I feel we needed a bit of cleansing. <laughs> Ross Noble and I were, I barely introduced him and hadn't even introduced him and we walked past the bench and there Is was it, some activity going on. A young couple. A, court, a courting couple we'll call them. How would, you, well, how would you describe the activity? I would describe it as very much dry humping. <laughs> I mean, I would describe the activity as not without an engagement ring <laughs> in my day. Very true. <laughs> I mean, but there again, in these wonderful garden settings, there's a certain... Uh, is it Lady Chatterley's lover? Was, that, mm. was he the gardener in that? All I'm saying is, if the police are going to take issue with my dog wandering around, I mean, I'm going to say to them they've got bigger fish to fry. I mean, they're at it again. Good Lord. Good Lord. Sorry, Raymond. Uh, so yes, yeah, so anyway, so I was at the uh I was at the customs thing and a guy said, uh, I gonna have to search you and he took me into the back room and he went, Take clothes off and and foolishly I went, buy me a drink first, right? <laughs> it's the right comedically correct. I, I, he, went, he didn't get the joke. He went, what? And I went, nothing. He went, no, what did you say? I went, but buy, buy me a drink first. And then I realised that perhaps there was, a, there was a slight, a slight suggestion of homosexuality about oh, it. Oh, he didn't like which it. Which probably... Didn't land well. Didn't, he, didn't, he didn't find that funny. What's, what's going on here? This is some sort of affair. Is it a rambling group? I want, well, I'll tell you what, what I want to do, Ross Noble. Yes. I want to formally welcome you to this oh, podcast. Oh, sorry, yes. <laughs> we, we always do this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm so happy you've come back on because you've been on this before. Yes. And you were living in the UK at the time. Mm, Kent, yes, I was down in Kent. You were living in Kent and I met your dogs Baxter and Baguette. Yes. Was that, was it Baxter and Baguette? It wasn't Winnie and Fred. That was, was after, yes, Baxter and Baguette, yeah. Baxter and Baguette. Yes. Who you referred to as oh. Cock-a-doodle-woodle-doodle-doodle. Yeah, Cock-a-poodle-doodle-doos, <laughs> yeah. The most middle-class dog you could possibly, you could possibly get. I have allergies, you see, so. Uh, yeah. Yes. And are they both still, you've subsequently moved to Australia. Yes. And yeah, Baxter and Baguette, yeah, still, still going strong. They're still, still very going much strong. with us. Oh, good, because they're beautiful dogs. And then uh, we now have uh, Indy, who's... Uh, that's an unusual. Look at that. What is I've it? seen Keep Off the Grass, but that's a very intricate picture of a training show. And it says, uh, please do not step, step on the shrub bed. Mm. Very specific, that, isn't it? And... Do you see who the notice is by? By the order of the Secretary of State. Secretary of State? <laughs> Bloody I mean, hell. It's come from very high up, Ross Noble. It has. I would say these royal parks, they really lay the law down. Well, we should say we're in Regent's Park. Yeah. Because you are over here touring I'm at the moment. I'm on tour at the moment. So tell me, so Baxter and Baguette, Yep. You still have. Yes. And... Baxter now lives with my in-laws because he's got very old and... Uh, he needs a bit of peace and quiet. Yeah, he lives with the in-laws and then Indy and Baguette are uh, very much... Uh, they're going strong. Um, and tell, tell me about... He's a bearded, bearded collie. Indy is? Yes. And Indy's quite energetic. Yes, he's a bit he's a bit nuts, but sort of all bearded collies are, you know. Are they? It's, yeah, yeah, they're always just like um even like when he was a puppy, we'd put him in his little what do you call it? Like a little pen thing. Yeah. And then you'd go to bed, you put him in there. 
And then the next morning, you see him scratching at the door. And you go, oh my God, he's climbed out. He was climbing up the side of the pen like a ladder and then jumping off the top. And then, so I had to put a lid on it so it was like a cage. I had to buy another one, put a lid on the top of it. Same thing, scratching along. And he was climbing up. He was climbing up and then squeezing through, like constantly trying to escape. And then as he got bigger, he'd run towards a, the, a gate or a fence and he would just leap onto the top of the gate, perch and then jump off. So n fences couldn't hold him. So yeah, so that was interesting when you're trying to, you know, like when you think, what's going to keep the dog nice and safe? Oh, that fence, that'll, that'll stop him. No. <laughs> so yeah, he's, um, but then my, my, old, uh, my old dog, uh, Winston, who was a bearded collie as well um, he got his eyes he, he, my sister bought me this uh, this soft toy thing and I put it on the shelf so he didn't rip it to pieces so he dragged all the cushions over piled them up ran towards the bookshelves bounced off the cushions and then used it as a ladder so he could get up and grab the toy that he wanted so very intelligent very intelligent but also like a little bit nuts, you know, constant. You just need constant. It's like, like living with uh, me. Britain's. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Charles Bronson, the prisoner. <laughs> you know, Britain's oh, hardest Britain's prisoner. Worst prisoner. He, does he sort of coat himself in butter? <laughs> That's so good, isn't it? Why did you get a bearded collie? Did you just love the idea of one? Did you and Fran think, well, maybe. She really loved them, and, and then. Uh, Fran's your wife, we should yes. say. If you imagine Raymond about 10 times the size and the hair being grey instead of black, that's what bearded collies are. Hello. Well, yeah. excuse me, why does there a sign saying easy going in that flower bed? Because that's the variety of this rose. Oh, the rose is called easy going. Oh, I don't think anyone should ever buy those for me. That one's called anyone's for a martini. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So do you think with regards to the dog now yes they're just anyone who was thinking of getting one what would you advise them they're a lot of work i would advise them to have a massive amount of space yeah and lots for them to do all the time at our old house he would sometimes he would just jump the fence and take himself off he just really? just disappear i'd be like oh for god's sake you know? <laughs> if he saw a kangaroo that would be it he'd just be he'd be gone you know, like you chase a kangaroo. I no. was finding this relatable until <laughs> now. So Indy is still very much running around and being very active, but um, he, it's a he, isn't it? Yes. It's like, for example, instead of like, you know, some dogs are like, are we going back round into Should the... Should we go down this yeah, way? You're right, Ross. Many, Let's try another way. Too much humping that down that for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Let's go into what I call more of a family area. Yeah. Less of the, the X-rated. No. So go on. So it's one of those things where, like, you know, some dogs would like to, uh, you know, you throw a toy for them and they go and get it. Whereas Indy's the sort of dog where you you hide the toy and he'll sniff it out. You know, he'd rather he'd rather sort of find it than run after it. Oh, he that likes the challenge. Sense. Yeah, yeah, but he's uh, yeah, he's just a bit nuts. But you know. It's all God's children. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you think maybe it's quite good for you to have him? Because it reminds you what Fran has to deal with. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. No, absolutely. <laughs> you have 100%. Oh, look at that little doggy. Oh, Do you like yeah, that doggy? Look, that's... Uh, Let's see if it gets on with Ray. Oh, Come on. This could be asking for trouble. What's that? What kind of doggy is that? Uh, she's the Jack Russell Crossing the Poodle. A Jackapoo. Oh, Jackapoo. <laughs> Yours is lovely. Oh, thank you. What's yours called? Uh, Scout. Scout, this is Raymond. Hello, Raymond. You're a very handsome boy. You are very handsome boy. <laughs> <laughs> Am I? Oh, I really like oh. them. What I liked is that I think they thought he was called Roman, and I didn't want to correct them ah. because it made they seem quite posh. And I think they thought <laughs> Ray was posher than he was. Remind me, as Go it on. is walking the dog, I yes. need. A quick reminder of your childhood history with dogs. Were you a dog family? No. You weren't, were you? Gerbils. I had gerbils. I was scared of dogs. There was like a local park right 
opposite, uh, like outside of our house. But you'd sort of have cul-de-sac and then the house at the end, but then beyond the houses was a big park. So for me, growing up, I look out my bedroom window and I'd just see fields, you know? So it was kind of, uh, it didn't feel like you were living on a big estate, you know? Um, but and which area specifically we should say this was? Uh, this is a town called Cramlington. Right. Who had at one point had the biggest razor blade factory in the world <laughs> and the biggest paracetamol factory in the world. When I was a bit young, I was I was always very rude about Cramlington, seeing it was boring and that it was very sort of uh, middle class, very sort of as bog standard. Uh, and then I, re I realised, oh, it was me that found it boring. It, wasn't, it, was, <laughs> it was a problem with me in a quest for excitement. But what used to happen was is that the um, people would let their dogs off the lead, running along, and then as children, we'd be playing in our front garden and the, uh, the dogs would come rushing in, jump up and uh, knock me to the floor. So I was terrified of dogs. I kind of liked them. You know, like a family member's dog or whatever. I go, oh yeah, I'd like a dog, but only if I got to know it. And I was really properly, I was properly scared of dogs. And my mum's scared of dogs as well. She's like very, get it away, call it off, call it off, all of that. You know, that business. So yeah, and I was, I was sort of dead set against us getting a dog. And then um, obviously, like always happens, when we got a dog, uh, fell in love with it and was like, wow, this is, this is good. But yeah, not, no, no dogs. I was allowed rodents, but I think the reason was even now. Your mum would probably be all right with Ray. He's not far off a guinea pig, is he? <laughs> We've got a guinea pig and he's got a similar haircut, a little bit smaller, but mm. yeah. One thing that you've said to me, which I always find really interesting, that people what? tend to get wrong about you, right. is making assumptions because they hear your accent. Mm -hmm. And you've said this to me before, that people tend to almost get slightly surprised that your parents were teachers and you had quite a middle-class upbringing. Yeah. Is, is that right, Ross? Do they make well, assumptions about, yeah. oh, you grew up with coal miner parents? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. there an element of like that? like Billy Elliot or something, yeah. <laughs> but you know what's interesting though? There's, a, there's a, a thing where I genuinely thought, and that might have been because my mum basically behaved like she was a duchess. <laughs> Did she? That's me being unkind, but she was always very sort of... Uh, she was uh, aspirational. That's the word I'm looking for, yes. Yeah. We always used to say like Hyacinth Bouquet, you know, but <laughs> I genuinely grew up thinking that... So yeah, both parents, teachers, state school, middle schools. Uh, we had two cars. I mean, I wouldn't say they were, you know, we had like a, a Fiesta and like a Talbot Alpine and... We had a caravan. I'm getting the picture, ready break on the table. Mm. It was... Yeah, Tupperware. Yeah. And I was led to believe, as I was growing up, that because, you know, we had a, we had a garden, we had all of that carry on. I was led to believe that that is what, is what middle class was. You know what I mean? You sort of go, well, actually, uh, well to do. It wasn't until I moved <laughs> And I went, oh, 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 when I used to knock about with kids who lived in like Jesmond, who were in sort of Victorian built houses that weren't built in the 60s, where you could sort of close a door and it would go clunk instead of, you know what I mean? Like all the doors in the house that I grew up in were, you go, oh, that's a nice wooden door. And then you'd realise, oh no, it wasn't until you accidentally hit something against it that it had cardboard inside, you know, it was like, sort of felt like growing up on a film set. And then you sort of go, oh, there's middle-class people who have got like, like money, money. I'm sure if, you know, you're brought up by two teachers in London, we would have had a very different, you know, we had two cars and a good garden and all that sort of stuff. Growing up in Northumberland, that's probably your money goes a bit further, you know, so. Yeah. Your parents are both teachers. Yes. And it was you and you had your sister, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I've got an older one sister. sister. Yep. Were they surprised when you went into comedy? Were no. they expecting it? Expecting it. Absolutely. Were they? One hundred percent. I was terrible at school, like really terrible. 
What, not academic at not all, Not academic were you? at all. I was interested, just couldn't. I was dyslexic. I had no interest in, you know, like, te- oh, te- you know, tests and, you know, the stuff I was interested in, I was really interested in. And if I wasn't, then it just didn't even, I just couldn't. Not for me, thanks. It's one of those things where I've got no GCSEs apart from, I've got like an A for performing arts and like a C in art. I think that's that's all I've got. And I go, oh, there you go. So I'm not sick then. <laughs> anyway, the, the idea of getting a normal job, because the teachers always used to say, oh, if you don't start concentrating, if you don't start applying yourself, you'll never get a job. And I went, oh, I don't want a job. <laughs> you know, I don't want to do that. So when I was uh, 11, 10 or 11, I taught myself to um, to juggle, and I did that obsessively. Started street entertaining. What, you were 11? Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. We used to kids' parties and... Really? Yeah, myself and Greg, my mate, we used to have a, had this double act. Sometimes we do kids' parties, but most of the time, we put an act together and we go into Newcastle, and then we just do a show. And then we finish the show, pass the hat round, make a load of money, and then uh, we do that, a couple of shows a day. And I then find that really interesting because people often think it is just being chaotic and funny and you realise, no, actually, Lee Mack was saying this recently when he was on my podcast and he was saying, I always try and tell my kids there is so much, there is a kind of discipline involved in it as well. And I think that's interesting with you that even at 11, you were seeing it as a sort of business almost. But if it's fun, it's not work, is it? That's the thing. You only have to discipline yourself if, you know what I yes, mean? Yes, I see what you that's, mean. I, I see what he's saying. At no point did I think I can just doss around here. My parents were both going like, you do realise you're not like, like they were, they were never going to go, oh yeah, we'll, we'll support you. That was never on the, you know? It wasn't like, oh, you can have a trust fund. Yeah. So uh, for a while I did think about, I thought I might join the army, you know? I thought that was like, can you imagine? I want to travel around, I want to see stuff. And then I was like, yeah, I thought, he, I know this sounds a bit weird, but I thought, oh yeah, I'll be in the SES, you know? There was a cliche about, you're not a Geordie, I know this technically are you? I was born in Newcastle so yeah. But there is a a cliche about why do people always associate Geordies with the army? You know why? Because of Robson Green and Soldier Soldier. (laughs) That's what it is. That's Robson Green Soldier Soldier. uh, Soldier Soldier. And and Jerome Flynn as well. I'm sure if you asked people it would be Geordies and people with big chins. (laughs) Walking the Dog is sponsored by Pet Plan. As some of you may know, I'm fussy when it comes to my dog, which is why I never went back to that groomer who gave him a mullet. But I'm fussiest of all when it comes to his health, and that's why I've always insured him with Pet Plan. I've always found them so easy to deal with, and they cover things other insurers don't, which is probably why they're the UK's number one pet insurer. You're number one as well, Raymond. Calm down. Terms, conditions and excesses apply. Pet Plan is a trading name of Allianz Insurance PLC. Um, oh, look, I'm seeing some of these park vehicles. I used to have one of those. I was going to say, Ross, yeah. whenever I see <laughs> a sort of park vehicle or a quad bike or something yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. do you know who I think of? <laughs> yeah. Ross yeah. Noble, because I went to your country manor Oh, in yes, Kent, that's right, yeah. And you had a lot of land there. Yeah, I'll tell you that story about when I was building the bivouac with the machete. I think that's a, that's a story. I think I probably did. I was, uh, I had just turned down the opportunity to appear on a Bear Grylls celebrity survival, I think on an island maybe, something like that. As a kid I was obsessed with John Lofty Wiseman, who is the, um, he wrote the SAS Survival Handbook and I loved all that. I loved all that sort of like uh, building bivouacs and shelters and, and um, you know, all of that that side of the military you know like hiding in a hiding in a hole for days on end and stuff I was building my kids at like a camp in the woods in a, like our woods you know and and I was chopping these branches and like weaving them through to make a shelter and I looked up and there's there's my wife 
and I'm sweating, I'm hacking away <laughs> with this this machete. And she just looked at me and she went, you could have got paid for that. <laughs> so, Ross? Yes. Oh, sorry. You joined so, the so, circus? So, so, yes. We so need that, to go back. You joined so, so the circus? So that was my plan. So I wanted to, I wanted to join circus. So there was a circus, a Jay Miller circus. And I got my dad to take me along. And then I went, I knocked on the flaps afterwards. <laughs> the stripy circus flaps. Yep. And I said, right, where's the ringmaster? Let's come on, let the dog see the rabbit. And he said, I said, I want to join. And he said, well, you have to be 18. And I was like, right, he said, come up when you're 18 and show us your act and all that. So I had a flyer, Jay Miller Circus. And I just remember thinking, right, I'm going to get so good at my circus stuff that when I turn 18, I'm going to turn up, I'm going to audition, I'll get a gig. And then I'll just travel around the world doing my circus act. And then when I'm, if I'm not in the circus, I'll, I thought I'd travel around Europe just doing a, doing a street show. And that was, it was all, all planned out. And then I, I won tickets to see a comedy show. And I saw it, I just went, oh, that's what I should be doing. And then that's when I decided to do stand-up, so. Oh, Ross. But you were always funny, weren't you? Well, I, I I like to laugh. I bet there was quite a funny energy in your family. We were, yeah, we were always laughing. You know what it was? It was less about always having a laugh and more just about uh, just not taking yourself too seriously. For example, whenever there's a death in our family, when we were looking at my dad's funeral and all that, we are picking out the coffin, you know, flicking through the thing and that, and then saying to the funeral director, it was all this big carved, big carved thing with Jesus on the side. He went, there's this one. And the, the classic like, oh no, you wouldn't be seen dead in that. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't a lot of reverence. What quality do you get from your mum? And what do you get from your dad? <laughs> from my mum? Oh, hello Ray, here he is. Here he is. He's jumped up. Uh, from my mum, the ability to talk continuously without taking a breath <laughs> that would be the that probably be the number one the number one thing she is somewhat loquacious and my dad oh probably probably sort of getting obsessed with things you know, my dad was obsessed with sailing his whole life was just about raising money for this charity that used to give kids a chance to go off and do sailing but he got obsessed with it and that continued Whereas I don't, <laughs> don't necessarily. Hyper focus he had. Well, you know, he's a science teacher, you know, so he's, he's very inquisitive about stuff. I think you and my mum would really get on would well. Would you? Yeah, no, you would. Yeah, no, you very much would. Yes, I think so. I really well, like I don't know if you'd get to speak. What? <laughs> but, you know, if you. <laughs> That's why I like her. Um, because she sounds like she wasn't afraid of taking up space, and I like women like oh, that. Oh, no, absolutely. Very much knows what you want, doesn't take any shit. And, uh, you know, my dad was sort of um, a foil for that. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a good comic double, that. He, he sort of, well, he died, he died quite young, so it's one of those things where it, it's, it's, it's hard, you know, it's hard to sort of... You know, and I kind of moved away, so I sort of d didn't get to, I didn't get to spend as much time as I probably would have liked to sort of get to know him as an adult, you know? Yeah. But, oh, he's got relaxed now. Look at him oh, cur love he's Ross. curling you know what, Ross? I think he really likes your energy. He you've likes got... me hot thighs. <laughs> I think you've got quite a... It's a non-aggressive masculine energy. Does that <laughs> well, make sense? Well, it's funny, actually, because my dad was very much... Uh, it's tricky because my dad, he just wasn't a blokey bloke at all, you know? He just didn't... And he, he held no truck with that sort of uh, blokiness, you know? So, you know, me getting into motorbikes and stuff, he was a bit like, he's like, what are you doing that for? You know, I think he saw that as being a bit too blokey, you know? <laughs> I mean, the fact that, you know, he used to sail all the time. You could you could argue that sailors are somewhat, somewhat masculine or camp, depending on which... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's a weird thing. There's an element of you, I think, that 
there's a bear-like quality, <laughs> but you've still got the tutu on. Do you know what I mean? I don't, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> no, you've got an element of the grizzly bear. Yes. But you've, you're in touch with just your... With a, just a sprinkle of glitter. Sprinkle of glitter, a glittery yeah. bear. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, seeing you yeah, as, you Ross go. Noble. What I'm interested in is, because you went into comedy pretty young, whenever people talk about you, other comedians... Yes. It's often with a sense of... You were so young. Didn't have to what? do a day's work in my life. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I started when I was 15. 15? And then, yeah, yeah, I was 15 when I started doing my first gig. I was getting gigs really quickly. So by the time I turned 18, I just moved, well, I was 70 actually, I moved to London. I was already making a living. So I turned 18, it was like, right, I'm doing this now. I've genuinely never, I've never had a job, never had a boss. The closest I've had to doing a proper job interview and trying to get a job is when I did Celebrity Apprentice. <laughs> we should say, yes. this was a few years back, wasn't it? And you've moved to Australia. Yes, yeah, it was towards the end of COVID. And were you thinking, I need to work? And you hadn't been able to work, presumably, in the way that you had been yeah, prior to uh, COVID. Was absolutely. It, was it just, I've got to do something, I'm going a bit crazy here? It was really strict in Australia, where Victoria was locked down, and they said, oh, if you spend, if you spend two weeks locked in a hotel room under armed guard, you can come out and you can be on the Celebrity Apprentice. That's literally what it was. I spent 14 days locked in a locked in a hotel room. Sir Alan, I felt you were his little pet. He really liked you, <laughs> didn't he, Sir Alan Sugar? You, you know, you, you, but you know what it was? It's the fact that, like, he, well, he said on the first episode, he just went, normally I'm standing there and all the people in front of me are just, I don't know who they are. But this is Celebrity Apprentice and I don't know who any of you are. And I think that was him sort of throwing his weight around. And then everyone's like, oh, all right, okay. And he went, except Ross. And he sort of pointed at me and I went, oh my God. Talk about getting a target painted on your back. You know, you know? what? Is it tragic that I felt really proud? <laughs> and I was watching that and I thought, he's the only one Sir Alan Sugar's heard of. But you know, it's, it's that thing of like, he's from Britain, isn't he? And, and so my plan with that show was, I looked at it, I went, I never in a million years do a reality TV show, not interested in doing it. And I was like, do I want to do this? Do I want to be part of that world? My wife said, theatres might be closed <laughs> forever. And I went, yeah, maybe I should do it. And then you know what? The reason that I did it, and it's probably the reason why I wouldn't do, you know, I'm celebrity and all the rest of it. Nobody's ever gone on one of those shows and just dicked about you know because obviously it's a chance to raise money for charity obviously and there's part of me that went well you know what like it's say 20 grand for charity if you win the thing you know if you win an episode and I thought well worst case scenario I'll just pay the money to the charity myself and you obviously it's you know it's that thing of, like raises awareness for the charity and blah 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 but I just thought I'll put my hand in my pocket and I'll give them the money. So it's not like I'm diddling them out of the, mm. out of the, and I thought I will go on there and see how quickly I can get fired. That was my plan. I just but you thought, didn't, you lost it right <laughs> to the end. Yeah, I made it to the final. And, he, and I never got fired. He just, it was like whoever raises the most money wins. Mm. And he just went, Shana, you've won. So technically never pointed at me and said you fired. So I never got fired. You have to do that slightly excruciating thing when you're on Celebrity Apprentice, don't you? Which is calling in favours from oh. high-status oh pals. And there was sort of, oh, Ross is just calling his friend Russell Crowe. And I was like, wait, what? 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 And Russell Crowe gave you some money, I think, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, 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 because he owns a rugby team. So is he a good mate of yours, then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, it's He's a bit of a glittery bear as well. Glittery bear, we've got. Well, that's how we met at the Glittery Bear Club. I think he's one of those guys who's like, um, he's a, he's a, he's a very very generous. He's a very generous. But anyway, that 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 whole celebrity apprentice thing was just. What I realised was, was that it's basically what they do with those shows is they just they tire you out and they just get you to the point where they put you under so much physical and emotional strain that who you actually are, you can't hide it. You literally can't. You can put on a facade, but you cannot hide who you are because you've got a camera on you all the time. You're mic'd up all the time. And that's why initially my wife was just like, you can't go on this show. 
And I was going, what? And she went, she goes, because people think you're an arsehole. <laughs> and I went, so you're saying I'm an arsehole? She went, no, but you'll come across as an arsehole. And I went, but that's you saying I'm an arsehole. And she went, no, you'll come across as an arsehole. And we had this big discussion about it. But she was right. She was absolutely right. Because she watches a lot of them shows. And she goes, if you go on that show, she said, you won't be able to help yourself. She goes, if you think somebody's a dick, you'll just tell them they're a dick. And I'll go, but if they're being a dick, then you got to tell them they're being a dick. And she went, no, but you can't do that on those shows. You can't do that. And I go, yeah, but if somebody's an idiot, then people will see that they're an idiot. And she's going, that's not how. <laughs> so we went around in this big circle. When I was doing it, I was looking at it just going... The thing is, is that they give you the rules, but then the rules, they change the rules. So you, once you realise that, once you realise that they give you this sort of like, these are the things that you must do, and if you don't do them, then they use those against you. But if they don't want you to win, then they'll use them against you, or they'll forget. So the whole thing is, you know, as soon as you realise that it's not a real competition, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I, I was just like, don't start calling people out, don't start. And then like literally episode two, I'm sat in the boardroom going, you're a narcissist, you're this. And I'm going, oh my God, I'm literally doing exactly what my wife predicted I would do, just go, you're an idiot. But the problem is, is I'm going, it's on camera, it can back me up. And then sure enough, Lord Sugar turned around and he went, well, he is right. <laughs> and I went, yeah, so I'm right. And like afterwards, afterwards, my wife was just going like, you'll have a go at somebody because you'll think you're right. <laughs> and, it, and I'll go, yeah, but if I am right. And she goes, yeah, but you might be wrong. Or, yeah, yeah, but if I think I'm right. And it was just going round and round in circles. It's interesting, when you go into shows like that, I think you forget you have such an advantage over everyone else there. It's right. like a boxer going into the the pub when someone steps up to him. Right. Is that you can floor them. Yeah, right. Do you know right. what I mean? It's like yeah. a sort of weapon that you have. Well it's it's I think it's more just the fact that like if you're like in that show, if you're in the boardroom and somebody's having a go at you, yeah. other people would be getting really riled up by it. But when you stood on stage in a rough pub and you know you done a gig in some rough Essex pub and people have shouted at you and chucked bottles at you it's nothing you just go why do I care if a fashion designer thinks that I'm a, an idiot like who, who like I just don't care do you find that sometimes Ross people with your comedy career it always interests me that people will sometimes say you'll say something in an interview like oh well I'll just you know I'll write something down and often I'll go off on tangents yeah and then people come away with this idea that you literally just turn up. I don't sit down and write a show. I go on stage and I start improvising and then they get a little seed of an idea and I might run with the idea for 10 minutes. Yeah. And then out of that, I think something will happen in the room and I might get, I might improvise for 10 minutes on the thing and then I go, oh, actually that's got me to another idea. And then so the next night I'll take that, the, the idea that I ended up with, forget the first nine minutes of it and then play with that, lead me. I might tell a story and then the next night the story might get longer or I might do the end first. And the, so it's all, it's just that. It's just sort of just playing around with ideas, you know, keeping it fresh, you know. But again, it's that you go back to that thing of like, if it's fun, is it work? It's the same thing of like, that's just how my brain works. So therefore, I hate that thing of people going, oh, <laughs> oh, it's ever so quick, it's ever so clever. You just go, well, it's not if that's just how your head, you know what I mean? I think if there's one criticism uh, that I would get levelled at me, you know, sometimes you get critics just going, oh, he doesn't, he doesn't reveal much about himself, you know, like there's sort of, but what they mean by that is that I'm not like confessional in terms, I don't say like, oh, here's this bit of darkness that happened to me. Where, but I, I think when I watch a stand-up, I just sort of think it's like a, you know, if you're writing a character in a, a movie or whatever, if a character tells you who they are, oh, I'm this, oh, this, I oh, what you need to know about me, and then this, 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 and you think, yeah, that's what you want us to think. But again, it's like the reality show thing is like, you sort of can't hide who you are. You kind of like, you can't do like 100, 200 dates, and you have to... I mean, that's some people might be able to, but you sort of can't hide 
what you're interested in. Yeah. And and then so you know I'll I'll go on there and just talk what some people call it's a load of old bollocks. But actually, that's what I think about. Whatever I'm talking about and how I'm talking about it, I think that reveals just as much character as somebody who comes on and says, I want to tell you about the trauma. I'm going to make my trauma funny. You would never do that, would you? Oh, I would, but in a very flippant (laughs) way. Do you know what I mean? Oh, and by the way... Well, you do it more (laughs) in the, the noble family style way. Like the coffin. You were telling me that joke earlier. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But... That's, that's still sort that's of exorcising fu- pain, but you're but doing it in a... Yeah, but it's funny, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's the difference. It's funny. Some comedy now has just got into this thing. If you go, you think, oh, here's a funny story. Oh, it just happens to be based around my dead father. Whereas a lot of people go, oh, got a dead father. Let's see how we can present this. You know what I mean? Mine's a funny joke about a coffin. That's what it is. But still... It's true, and might show me and my whole family to be emotionally repressed, hiding <laughs> behind laughter. Maybe if you <laughs> want to get deep about it, but yeah, but I think that's the way around it needs to be. When I see other people doing it, I think this better be fucking <laughs> funny. If this is the bumpy road we're going to have to drive over <laughs> to get to it, years better be. Yeah, but you know. Tell me about your tour because your tour is. This is why we're fortunate enough to have you back here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's called Jibber Jabber Jamboree. Of course it is. Uh, yeah, currently on tour all around the, the United Kingdom. But if the two, if people are listening to... Because sometimes people back up their podcasts, don't they? No, I'm going to be get, doing this quite soon. Yeah, but then even when the tour is finished in four or five years' oh, time... Oh, I see, the listeners. Yeah. Oh. When I have contracted a terrible <laughs> illness and I have done... <laughs> I've done a show all about how I'm struggling through it. And I go, oh, remember what he said back there? It was before he's... Do you know, we can always edit that out. <laughs> no, leave it in. I'd be less bothered about the terrible illness <laughs> and I would be more bothered about the fact that I had actually done a show about the terrible <laughs> illness. I'd rather be dead and have not done that show. <laughs> so tell me, so, so Jibber-Jabber-Jamboree, so, so yeah. so so why is it called that as well? Because a jamboree is a beautiful, uh, I, I like to think of my shows as like a coming together of a community of people all experiencing a, a joyous thing. I do think it's and like then, that. Yeah. And then uh, jibber jabber is just a good way of uh, very much staking out the fact that this will not be worthy. <laughs> There'll be no dead parents <laughs> in it. No dead parents. Unless, you, you never know, my support act is the ghost of my dead father. That might happen. <laughs> You never know. You know what? You're an interesting mix, Ross. Yeah. Because you are our carries cold. You're also one of the first people I would call if I had a problem. Just what I mean is you're someone who's incredibly sensitive and kind as well. Oh, well, that's good to know. I've got the world fooled. You have. You really <laughs> fooled me. That. I yeah. feel like you and Fran, your other half, yeah. who, as you know, I adore... I'm so glad you found each other because you're you, so perfect for each no, other. No, but you know what? She's she's actually r- ridiculously uh, hot. Yep, that is true. <laughs> that is very true. No, she's very very um, caring. You know, like a mate of mine, like his his dad died, and I thought, I thought oh, I'm not. And she was like, ring him. And I was like, oh, I can ring him. That's just awkward. And I thought he doesn't want me to. But my wife would be like, no, no, ring him. You know, she's. She's very, uh, yeah, she's just a better person than me, that's what I'm saying. But I think often it's good to be reflective, but not out loud. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you well, know what I mean? Well, you've said to me before as well, <laughs> oh, yeah. because we've discussed the, uh, the ADHD thing. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been diagnosed with it, but a lot of people suggest it. <laughs> it's got ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, yeah. <laughs> But you've said to me before that you feel you don't really want to tinker with what's going on in there because you feel it's working fine for you. Yes, yeah, fine, yeah. And it's, it's, it's only my wife and children whose life is in misery. <laughs> uh, but that's... <laughs> it's only the people around me. It's only the people that... Right. Everyone else suffers, not me. How do they suffer? How does it manifest itself? 
And I appreciate you're undiagnosed, so I'm not going to impose that on you, but how... Oh, no, no, I've, I've been diagnosed, but by members of the public. <laughs> Somebody I know tried to give me medication. He went, look, please do me a favour. Just take one of these and see what happens. And I'm like, you, is this for me or is this, are you, or is this for you? So, I don't know. That's quite... I don't know what we were talking about. It's almost like we're going off on a tangent. There's me, me literally going, oh yeah, but I, I haven't been doing I was literally like, what? <laughs> what are we talking about? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And this then is now, uh, Raymond. Raymond. Yes. And then now you'll be able to listen to this episode and hear yourself yes. on the episode. Here, look, we're yes, we're recording. This is what we call walking the dog in yeah. more ways yeah. than one. Yeah. Oh well so nice to meet yes. you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, lovely to meet On you. All your, wherever you get your podcasts from. Come on, Ray. Can I say it? Shall says, we walk up here? Yeah, I think it says a lot about you. I think you can always tell a lot about someone oh, yeah. when they're well known, and an incident happens where someone kind of almost but not quite recognises them whether they genuinely find it hilarious. And you really do. Oh, and you. I saw earlier when we met, <laughs> and we're getting yeah. back to where we met, when we met in Regent's Park at the cafe, there was a woman who was talking to Ray. Yes. And she initially said, oh, I, can you get the dog away from me? I don't like dogs. I yeah. don't like dogs. And I thought, well, fair enough. And then she looked at you and her little eyes brightened. She went, oh, no, you. She said, I know you, don't I? And then she said, Ross. What was she doing? Oh, the dancing. <laughs> now look, I consider myself a song and dance man. I've been in a couple of musicals. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe she'd gone, there's a fella that's light on his feet, old twinkle toes. Um, but or no, I. She thought you were. One of the professionals. Bruno Tonioli. <laughs> she, she thought I was one of the professionals, or strictly. The. Uh, uh, you know what I think it was? I think in her head, she looked at me and she went, he's a comedian of some description. And then I think she racked her brains and I think she thought of Bill Bailey. And, oh, yes. and I think she went, oh, that's... And I think she's gone, I know him from somewhere. I think that's what it was. And but I've noticed she, you tend to cover your hair because that's a very distinctive... That's your... Um, thing. Part of your brand. Mm-hmm. It's the Ross Noble brand. Is the hair? <laughs> yeah. Does that help when you cover your hair up? Absolutely, God, yeah. If I wear a hat, I basically have. I get that. I get people going, oh, I know you're going. Oh. But if I if I let my hair float about in the breeze, <laughs> people see it in the distance. Oh, it makes then... me sad. Your hair is such a great feature. No, I like I, your, I, I, I like I, your hair to be able to sing openly, Ross. Oh no, no, I, 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 I do. I frequently have it out and about, but I just, you know, it's one some of days. Should we record this again? I get my hair out, and then we'll we'll, we'll see what the response is. I, I'm in that very lucky position where people either know me or they don't know me at all. That's quite rare. That when you moved to Australia, which you moved because Fran, your wife is from Australia and I presume you yeah. wanted your kids to but partly that came into it wasn't yeah, it wanting them that. to have that sort of a childhood over there it's yeah, a beautiful and, place to grow up and partly because I hate the cold <laughs> I just hate the cold is that really what I it hate is it. I hate it today it's a beautiful crisp day and if I was running now I'd be loving it but I yeah. just feel it in my yeah I feel it in my fingers as wet 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 in the trog <laughs> said <laughs> As Reg Presley so beautifully put it when it comes to arthritis, <laughs> I feel it in my fingers, I feel it in my toes. I understand. And everything's all right after the fire. Ross has had an awful, which I'm sure everyone knows about, but your, your house basically burnt down. It was horrific. Yeah. Thank God you guys were all okay. But have you sort yeah. of recovered from that in terms of... What, post-traumatic stress? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't exactly say that the... Uh, the finale of Happy Valley was uh, 
was somewhat triggering. Thanks, Sarah Lancashire. Setting me back. <laughs> Had a bit of a sleepless <laughs> night after I saw that. But apart from that, you know. It's not Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Well, it's and great. I can't wait to come and see your show. Very much so. And you know what? Also, I... okay. Yep. Two, please. Uh, here's what I'll say. If this goes out, you know, I was saying before. If this goes out and the tour's finished, you can go on my website, right? Rossnoble.com. Rossnoble.com. For years, that was owned by an industrial metal engraver in Michigan. <laughs> But that loser went out of business. Yeah. The decline of the industrial metal engraving uh, <laughs> was uh, was my gain. Um, so yes, if you go to rossnoble.com, uh, I've got my last show, uh, Humanoid, is uh, downloadable. It is downloadable for 10 pounds, 10 British Listen, pounds. That's quite so a good value. Extraordinary value. I'm gonna come and see you, and Ray's loved seeing you, because. He really has tremendous affection for you. <laughs> and do you know what? I understand why. He's a delightful cartoon character. Well, he's not the only one. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And do give my love to Indy. Do you think I I'd would. like Indy? Oh, I think if he was, t if he was t uh, having one of his quieter times. You've got to come. Let's do this. Come to Australia. Do this in Australia and do all the Australian celebrities and then we'll do one of these and then you can borrow my dogs can i borrow indy and is indy very no, you can but you, you you can yeah yeah indy, yeah 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 if i get rubbish on the lead but indy's yeah 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 borrow indy and then do it along the beach there you go job's good oh ray in the outback yeah ray, we're gonna go meet russell crowe <laughs> ray in the outback oh do you think he'll get on well there <laughs> you could put him in a joey's pouch <laughs> <laughs> Ross, right, thanks we've for loved me. today. Can you say goodbye, please? See you. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed that episode of Walking the Dog. We'd love it if you subscribed and do join us next time on Walking the Dog wherever you get your podcasts.